This is the Publicity for Pet Businesses podcast with Rachel Spencer. Listen in each week for tips on ways to win media coverage and create content to make sure your pet business stands out from the competition. In this podcast episode, I'm talking to Debbie Humphreys from Red Hound for Dogs, and it's about a topic that comes up quite a lot, and it's about what to do if somebody copies what you do in your pet business. It's a really emotive topic because we put so much into the work that we do, don't we? And for somebody to come along and take what we've done and to copy us or certainly be very inspired by us can be so upsetting and it can lead to devastating consequences for our businesses. Debbie has had this happen to her not once but twice and she's sharing so much helpful advice for you if you are worried about this or if this has happened to you if it's just something you want to know more about. So I hope you find this episode helpful. You can learn lots about Debbie, lots about her experience and lots of great advice to protect you and your pet business. Do go and check out Debbie at Red Hound for Dogs as well. I'll put all of the links to Debbie's work in this episode and big thanks to her as well for coming on, doing this interview and sharing such helpful advice on this really difficult topic. Now on for the main part of the show with the interview with Debbie. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, I'm Debbie Humphreys and I am the founder of Red Hound for Dogs. We are a whippet attire specialist company who make uh, clothes for whippets to keep them warm, dry and happy in all weather conditions. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Debbie. And I know you've got a really rich background in the pet industry and we are going to actually cover that in another episode um, because you've got a fascinating story to tell but we're here today to talk about copying and the impact that can have on your pet business I know that people listening and I know from researching it in my Facebook group it's going to be such a fascinating listen so really appreciate you joining me and sharing your experience so can you tell me about that yes that was about I was trying to think back actually time-wise I think it was 2014 so we've been going for four years We've been doing the shows. We've been investing all our money back into the business. You know, I was hardly taking anything out. We were su- surviving because David was working another full-time job. And um, I just thought there must be an easier way than this. There must be. And I, I've always been into craft and I've always knitted and I've always sewn. And I just suddenly thought, well, kits were really the thing. They were massive. We were selling quite a lot on Not on the High Street at the time. Yeah. And everything on Not on the High Street was about kits. And you can get, I mean, these days you can get a kit for everything, can't you? And during lockdown, my goodness, those kits probably would have gone down a treat, wouldn't they? But yeah, um, it, yeah there was, there's a reason why we stopped doing them. But it, so I just decided that it would be the thing to do because I could broaden out to a craft market then, not just people who've got dogs that want to buy ready-made but there was a whole market there of people that wanted to to have that same satisfaction of knitting something for their dog that I got when I knitted for mine so we developed these kits it cost us quite a big investment actually because we had I had to source the neat bamboo needles we had to source the wool from Donegal in Ireland we had to buy it in massive bulk to to get to, to get A, the dyes that we wanted, the because they dyed a certain amount if you had a certain amount. And we had it used to come in big skeins and we had to ball it all off. I mean, it was, when I look back, I think our time consuming the the, the machine knitted jumpers were. The kits, well, be, at the beginning, they were an awful lot of work, but 
once we had all the components, we had boxes designed by a local company. They had these little cut-out paw prints on them where you could see the colour of the yarn. It was lovely. We had to knit all the samples in all the sizes, test all the patterns, print all the patterns. We had to photograph them. That was our first photo shoot with Kerry, actually, where we photographed the some of the, the kit. Well, I think it was one we photographed on a little Welsh terrier. And I needed that picture because I had to pitch to Habitat. I can't remember how that came about. And I think they contacted us because they'd seen, maybe they'd seen us at a show or something. And so I, I contacted them back and said, look, I've got these amazing kits that I'm developing. I think you're going to be interested in them. Off I went up to London to uh, Habitat HQ, which was very dog friendly, I have to say. Um, met up with the buyer. I had a mock-up of a box. I had Kerry's photograph that we'd mocked up, the label, just stuck it on the box. I had some of the yarn. I had the sort of how it was going to look. And she said yes. And they placed a big order. So we were like, oh, you know, my God, this is, this is going to be something. So we ploughed on with it. And we got these kits out there and I took them up to Top Draw, which is a big gift fair yeah. up in London. And we sold to um, Graham and Green, which is another uh, quite big company. They placed quite a big order for that Christmas too. And they wanted to photograph the kit for their catalogue that year. It was really exciting. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, this is, this you know, this is going to be the thing. Kits are going to take over and I won't have to be finding sewers that can make make the clothes because we can just put kits together and and then we could move on to sewing kits and you know won't this be exciting so that was that Christmas we sold into lots of independent shops we also did a more luxury uh, range that was using a British wool uh, West Yorkshire spinners wool which Kerry and I photographed in August of that year when it was really hot. So we were trying to photograph woolen jumpers in, in when it was really hot. That was a bit mad, but um, we got it done. So so that, and then that Christmas when we'd had loads of orders go out, it was fantastic because these big shots had bought from us. We were, I was walk, doing a bit of Christmas shopping at Blue Water with a friend of mine. And what do we see in a big department store? a box of a knitting kit for a dog jumper that was virtually identical to ours. And I can't really describe the feeling because it was it was gut-wrenching. We bought one because I needed to know who was doing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, we traced it back. We had sent a kit about six months before to the head office of this particular department store. And... They, I'm not saying it was them, but it's a bit of a coincidence. Yes, it was developed by an outsourced company who basically developed products. So we we took it legally and took it up with them legally, and they agreed that they would cease and desist and not not produce anymore. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the end of that. We carried on with the kits because that was fine. You know, they were still selling well. But earlier that year, when we were at a show, I had been approached to write a book with Pavilion, Dogs and yeah. Jumpers. And basically, once the, the, the book was published, nobody wanted to buy the kits because why buy the kits when I can buy the book and I've got my own wool? So 
they, and they did say that that was a bit of a danger. If we do the book, then the kits probably won't continue. But that was fine because doing the book was was a little goal that I set myself a long time before when we lived in Devon and yeah. Bruno was parting about in one of my designs. And I said to David, I want to write a book one day. And, and I did it. So it was right. fantastic. It was a great experience. It was really hard work. I only had three months to do it because it was a very tight deadline. They approached me in September. We signed the contract in December and I had to have everything ready to photograph by February, which also Kerry photographed. Of course she did. We had great fun at my uncle's place. He has a, a railway in his in the grounds of his house. So we we did the photographs there on a very, very cold February day. We had all the different dog breeds coming in. It was, it was and, and the publishers came down. We did two days. It was very exciting. Getting the book published was definitely a big highlight for me in my life. And by then, we decided that we'd do some sewing patterns. So we moved on to designing. We had a, a coat called a Surrey coat, which was a quilted coat, just had a round roll collar. It was a, a basic shaped coat. We did it for whippets. We did it for greyhounds. We did it for terriers. We did it for toy dogs. You know, we did it all yeah. the sizes. So we were already selling that as a ready-made. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if people could make their own version of it? That's how naive I was. And wouldn't it be nice if people could make their own version of it? So we we spent a lot of time and money in developing that as well because again we had to have a box designed specifically for it we had to get the patterns printed on big paper and that trust me that is not easy you had we had to find a, uh, a specialist printer you had to have thousands of these sheets printed because they can't just print you 10 so we we had a lot of them printed but i was so confident that other sewers would want to sew something for their dog and create something I was really confident that was going to happen that we we went on with it and then we took them to craft shows you know um for like trade shows went up to Birmingham and and the shops loved them they took them on I did I did tutorial days in in a little lovely shop up in London we had a fantastic day showing people how to make their dog a coat and and I really loved it because I was off the sewing machine, but showing other people how to do it as well. And and craft was very much a big part of what I what I was doing at the time. And the business was still ticking over and we were still doing other things, but, you know, ready-made stuff. But that sort of was consuming me quite a lot at the time. But, that, yeah, it was a lovely product, which we no longer do, neither of those. So... Okay, so you had your kits copied, you went into a department store and saw that somebody had ripped them off, which must have been devastating. Then you had the high of doing the book. Then you made another product and you were copied again. It must have been really hard. Can you tell me about what happened? Yeah. I had somebody, a customer of ours, that sent me a photograph of a seller on Etsy and said, I think this is your coat. And we did a bit of research and discovered that the owner of the shop had bought all of our patterns from us. So that was from toy dog size right up to greyhound size. And she bought them on separate orders. So because if anybody was ordering multiples of the sizes, we would always question what dogs have you got? What measurements are the dogs? Because you probably don't need to buy all of them because it was suspicious. You know, mm -hmm. somebody buying all three sets of patterns 
nobody's got nine dogs that you know all those different sizes so it was quite and, and it was very clearly written on all the patterns that, that our copyright was protected and that they were not for commercial use yeah however this particular individual decided that she was just going to use them anyway and set up her etsy shop and so we because we're members of acid which is anti-copying and design we have access to uh, a specialist ip solicitor who wrote to the individual and explained that things were wrong i think initially at the beginning i'd um because we were still selling the ready-made item uh, on our etsy shop so i was able to say look this person has produced the same thing as me and they took her shop down mm -hmm. i kept getting really abusive emails from her about that anyway upshot of it is when the solicitor wrote to her she just did the whole i've done nothing wrong all whippet coats are the same blah 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 well yes but you bought our patterns and we can see that they're the same um so she made some changes and eventually because at the time we didn't have enough cash to take it any further it's very hard to fight somebody who doesn't get legal advice and i decided i would discontinue the product so i discontinued the ready-made version of that coat and I rebranded the patterns, the sewing patterns, because we had hundreds of these, Rachel, sitting yeah. in the stock room. We couldn't afford to not get our money back. So I decided to come at it from a different way. I thought, right, I'm going to go down to the local fabric shop. Luckily, at the time, we had one locally. I'm going to buy some fabric. I'm going to change the pattern slightly. So it doesn't resemble anything that we do ready-made. And I'm going to give very undetailed instructions. So I really scaled down the instructions because in the first pattern kit, the instructions were really detailed. So even somebody who'd never sewed before could work out the best way to make it, which only probably a professional might have known the little tricks to get it right. Um, so I did that. Kerry re-photographed them. Again, it's all expense for us. Yeah. So Kerry re-photographed them, but they looked fantastic. I mean, I was so proud of them. We rebranded the labels. It was all much more colourful. It looked like much more of a craft product. And I thought, you know, this will be fine because we don't sell that product ready-made and they don't look like something you could sell commercially. And people couldn't buy the fabric commercially yes. because it wasn't available. So I thought it would be fine. So we carried on like that for a little bit longer. They were selling on Not on the High Street quite well, sold them on Etsy really well, not as much on our website because it wasn't the main focus on our website. But you'd be getting the orders in where people would be ordering two or three sets and you're just thinking, well, no, you don't need it. And, and in the end, it got to the point where people, we'd ask people the size of their dogs because, you know, we'd said... We've had copyright issues in the past. You know, we want to help you out here. We want you to enjoy this just for your own dog or maybe make something for your local rescue, but they're not for commercial use. And you'd get antsy emails back from people because they obviously were going to use them for commercial gain. Yeah. And they were getting stroppy with me that I was questioning them. So then we did it so that people could only order two and not all three. So we did that for a little while, not on high street. But even then it got it got difficult to police it because you're thinking 
okay, give me the sizes of your dogs because I don't trust you. And you become very untrusting. You yeah. know, you really, you really do. And, and, and so in the end, I just said, oh, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just not doing it. I just pulled the product completely and decided we wouldn't be selling them anymore. So basically, I was making it easy for anybody who wanted to have a basic pattern for a dog coat. So whether that be the small toy dog terrier shapes or the hound shapes, because the hound shape pattern is quite specific. It's not got a straight back. It's got shaping in it. You know, it's quite, it's got a small neck and a big chest. And it, there was nothing else on the market at the time that you could get to fit a whippet. And so basically I was making it really easy for someone to buy a pattern and start making their own whippet coats in, and, uh, you know, and set up their own business. So I just thought, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. Why should I make it easy for somebody? Why should I make it easy? So uh, when you think what goes in, what I'd gone into getting that basic pattern was a lot of hard work. And it was a lot of investment to get to that. We call them like a block in trade. So a pattern cutter will have their blocks for different shapes for different items. And from that block, you can then design other things. But you've got your basic shape there. So then from that block, you can, you can change the shaping slightly. You can put different seam lines in. You can put a different color on it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that, that set of patterns that we've sold they were like a block pattern. So I was making it really easy for people. And with Etsy, I mean, I don't know how often you look at Etsy, but it's absolutely saturated with uh, Whippet clothing and Italian Greyhound clothing and Greyhound clothing because people are having a go and, and people are doing it from home. Now, I've got no problem with that if they want to draft their own pattern, but don't use mine. Yeah. So that, it just got too difficult to be policing it and I and every time one went out even though we had a very long polite letter saying exactly what the copyright laws were anybody that was planning on doing that wouldn't, wouldn't give a damn about that they'd do it anyway so I just decided no I'm just going to stop doing it and it's a shame because occasionally I will get asked for genuine people who say got a couple of greyhounds and maybe they foster them and the greyhound pattern in there was, was really good. It was a good shape. And, and often, you know, if people are crafty and they've got, they like to do a bit of sewing, then they loved that product for that reason. And they were, you know, they're not the people that were ever going to set up a business. But I have to say to all of them, because we've had so many copyright issues, I'm, I don't sell it anymore. Yeah. And, it, and it's a shame because those people are missing out. So where, what are the legalities around well, around just taking your thing, your pattern, or buying one of your jumpers or one of your T-shirts and copying it? What are the legalities around that? Well, the legality, bottom line is that it is theft. Yeah. And it is illegal. But the copyright laws in this country at the moment are not really fit for purpose for 3D items. They work for art and music and photography the law is quite easy for those people get copied because yeah. they can often, you know, legally prove it. Uh, but for 3D items, it's not so easy because 
if people make a certain number of changes, even though you can see that they started with your product, if they make a certain number of changes, then it becomes very, it gets to, it gets to a point where there's enough change that it then just becomes a coat, say, or a jumper that fits a whippet. Mm -hmm. So they are reforming the law, luckily, but in, and it should protect designers of 3D items so much more, but it's, it isn't, it isn't only clothing items. I mean, I, I know about that sphere of things, but I, I know of, uh, you know, there are plenty of other people who design toys, say, or um, stationery or jewellery that are getting ripped off. Yeah. But the process, the legal process of getting the copiers to stop is very expensive. It's very lengthy and it doesn't always have the outcome that it should. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that's interesting chatting to you because I have spoken to another pet business who had a product copied and she um, took legal action and she was fortunate in that she won. Um, and it, you know, obviously it went away, but I know we talked about this before we hit record. It's not just products that people can rip off. It's, it's programs, it's courses, it's, you know, logos, it's websites, it's so much stuff that people can rip off yeah. Um, yeah. and steal, copy, be inspired by however you want to look at it. And we're all yeah. vulnerable to it, aren't we? Which is really yeah. quite scary yeah. with small business owners. So can you tell us about the the impact of it on you? I know obviously it's going to have cost you a fair bit of money, but tell me about the impact on you emotionally as well. Um, I think it's quite difficult to put into words. Yeah. Because when you spent time and money and passion developing a product or your brand, you know, whatever it is, then it becomes personal. Yeah. So if you see something that has been heavily inspired by you and you know pretty much they've ripped you off and there's probably not much you can do then it's so destroying and also the, the other the other side of it is that it can it can thwart your own creativity I mean at its worst it can just make you feel very you fall out of love with your own products and what you do and you start to feel, you know, scared about putting anything new out into the world because you think, oh, somebody out there is going to rip it off. So it makes you very paranoid as well. And at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to stop. I think that um, there will always be people out there that will think it's a nice, easy way to set up a business. Uh, using somebody else's designs but the other thing people have to remember if it happens to them is that the copiers can never push their businesses forward in the same way because if they had to rely on copying somebody else's brand and their and someone else's product then they haven't got a business have they because no. if they had a business idea they would set their own up and they would develop their own 
So you shouldn't have to copy somebody else to get your new business going. So that that's my take on it. You know, if if somebody looks to some some other somebody else who's, who's perhaps doing well in the marketplace and they think, well, I I can do that. You know, I I, I can set a business up just like that. Well, no, you can't. Because there's an awful lot more that goes into it. It isn't only the making of that product, you know, and that goes the same for courses and and, uh, things like you do, because there's an awful lot of work that goes into it. And there's a lot of money and time invested in it. And it's not just a simple case of, yes, anybody can open an Etsy shop and Etsy aren't that great at policing, whether there's something else on the website that's very similar. Unless you've got all day, every day to sit and do that, I can't sit and do that. I mean, there's there's hundreds of things on there. I'm pretty sure our our little Whippet jumper, there's loads of very similar ones out there, very similar ones. With But we've sold thousands of those. So I could never prove that, you know, one person in particular, because anybody can can order anything from a website, can't they? Yeah. And then set up a business if, they, if that's what they really want to do. Anybody can get hold of anybody's products. But the other thing it also makes you very wary of, Rachel, and I touched on this earlier, was that you start to be very suspicious of every order. Yeah. Like with the sewing patterns that people were ordering more than one, I was really suspicious. And I was thinking, well, I'm going to keep your name on the list, you know, because you might set up your own business. And and that's the wrong way to be looking at it because you can't, you can't, you get, you lose the joy, zaps the joy out of it for you. So I think that the only way you can really deal with it is to just do what you do better and know that you, because you're the originator, you can always come up with something new. Copiers can't. Yeah. No, it's a really good point um, because, like you say, if you're not creating it yourself, you're just sitting and waiting for the next thing to come along that you can copy, aren't you? Yeah, and and often if somebody has copied an original item, that original item has been thought about, it's been designed, it's been developed. It is the best it can be. So a copier can only dilute that, and then it won't be as good as the original. Yes, it might be cheaper, and to a lot of people, they might not care. But but that's then that leads us on to another point that we've touched on previously yeah. as well, about you know, which I I know perhaps you want to cover, but um do people care that's a really good it's a really good point isn't it and when we were chatting before um we were talking about the fact that copying has been normalized and you know let's say if we think about luxury candles that you can buy which are lovely you can then go to a budget supermarket and buy their version and you look at them they're the same scent they're oh they're, they're the same flavor um you know it's been normalized hasn't it and very and I'm not going to, I'm certainly not going to say, you know, it's okay for someone who sells luxury candles for low, and it's obviously very wealthy compared to you, you know, people like you and me who are regular people trying to make, you know, trying to build our businesses. It's not okay for them just because they're multimillionaires doesn't mean that, that it's okay, does it? But it is this kind of normalizing of copying. Um, and actually people don't think about, you know, people just don't think about it, do they? No, they don't think about it. And there wasn't there a case recently uh, with a cake, certain design of a yeah. cake. And I think, I think that case was one. Yeah. 
But ultimately, I remember listening to a lot. Of, there was a lot of chat about it at the time on the radio, and and they did a lot of phone-ins and things. And ultimately, people were saying, "Well, does it matter whether I get that cake from one supermarket or another? And who cares that that place did it first? Well, they care, <laughs> you know, and and people should care. But this is this is the big problem. I I just I think it's there's not enough known about about why it's wrong there's not enough known about the impact on the designers who have their designs stolen um it it's it, you know theft in any other industry is known you know if somebody comes along and takes your property then that is theft and there are laws against that and everybody knows that it's wrong but when it comes to having something ripped off that you've made and designed yourself or a brand that you've got or a, a course that you've designed and spent time on or a piece of jewellery that you've agonised over to get it just right, it, people just do not understand that how wrong that is and how illegal it is. But until the law protects those of us that it happens to in a better and more effective way, which is coming, I'm sure that it will, then then it isn't going to change. Yeah. It's going to change. I've had similar things when I've worked, you know, because I still do journalism work and I've, you know, done magazine interviews or I've found a case study to share their story. Um, and there's a thing in journalism, I won't bore you too much with the detail, but it, you, you'll be able to relate where it's this thing called fair use. And if I've written a story for one magazine, a newspaper can pick up that magazine, find that person on social media, take their photo, and then use a certain amount of that interview that I've created. I've probably driven to the person's house. I've probably paid the person for the interview. I've then had to pay for the software to do the things that I do. Um, you know, I've got all the running costs on my business, but they can just take take a chunk of it and use it and it's like oh it's awful and then you contact the newspaper and, and they're like well we can you that you know that comes under fair use and it's like that is not fair use that is awful um but you know with me in journalism it was a battle that I just thought I haven't got the emotional energy to do this anymore which is why I've started you know doing other things in my business but I know where you're coming from and it's blooming awful um and yeah it's it's just you know just Awful. And I wanted to, I know I put this in the, in the notes before we spoke, but I wanted to ask you what your, what you would say to somebody who's looking at a product and thinking, oh, I, I can do a version of that. I can, I can make that work. What would you, what would you say to them? Well, I'd say you can't. Yeah. You can't. You won't have the skill set needed, the experience or the passion because it's not your idea. And because that original thing is as good as it can be, your item will never be as good. So if, and I, as I said before, I keep thinking back to this, if you're looking at something and thinking, well, I can do that, well, you don't have a business idea. You just don't. So don't do it. Go away until you can think of something original yourself or you have the skill, invested in the skill set to do it yourself. So, in, I mean, I've got 30 odd years in the industry. So, I've got a lot more than most, even in my little niche and part of the business. But I know how to make clothes. Yeah. I know really good pattern cutters. I know how to do things professionally. And that's why we can 
bring out new designs. That's why we can develop something like the Whip It Away Mac that it folds up into a little bag. You know, it, it ticks so many boxes at which point, you know, when we designed that, there was there was nothing like it on the market. Um, we register the designs and, you know, that's another thing people can do. You can register designs, but the current law doesn't, it doesn't protect you massively. It might help deter some people. And I suppose, I suppose you could put on your website that these designs are registered, but it's not going to put off your, your real people that really want to copy you. Um, but you can trademark your logo. That is something you can do because when we had the kits ripped off, they'd even done a logo that from a distance looked like ours. It was a little wow. dog in a jumper. So that was the catalyst to getting our logo trademarked. Um, but yes, it's it's it, it is really it's really difficult because I think at the end of the day, we're not the people that are listening to this are probably not the people that are thinking oh I'm going to go off and, and copy that brand because I really like what they do and it can't, how hard can it be well yeah. I'm telling you it is hard it is hard and and I think for some of the people who who this who perhaps listen to this podcast they're just in the beginning of setting up their own brand they probably aren't the ones that are looking at other people to copy because they're already doing it for themselves they're entrepreneurs they want to have their own business. They maybe want a different work-life balance. They've got a certain skill set that they can put into the business that they're starting. And they will all have a passion for pets, whether that's cats or dogs. Uh, but when it comes to making garments, I can only speak from that side of it, you can't just set up a business like we've got if you, you're just a keen sewer. There's so much more to it. Yeah, that's... Yeah. So, yeah, I thought about that question when you, you sent it to me and I just thought, yeah, anybody that's thinking that, looking at a product and thinking, oh, I can do a version of that. Well, you probably can't. So I wanted to ask you as well what your advice would be for other small businesses, particularly like when you talked about their people just starting out when it comes to protecting themselves, because people will be listening and thinking, oh, my gosh, what would, what would I do? What would you yeah. say people can do to protect themselves? I know you touched on it a little bit there, but what would your advice be? Um. Uh, yeah, again, I thought about this quite a lot. And I thought that, you know, you can register your designs. Now, we did it through a solicitor for some of our more complicated designs. We've registered them. And actually, that's the other thing that I've done since these experiences that we've had is I have made our designs deliberately complicated because then they are not as easy to just make. So... And most of our, our things are not just a simple shape. Um, but we've registered the ones that are new. So like if, if there's nothing like that on the market, nothing the way that that's constructed, you can register your design. Now you, you can do that through the intellectual property agency, government agency. I didn't know that. We did it through a solicitor, so it cost us more money. That gives you, you, you registered design rights. And like I said, you could put that on your website to say your designs are registered. That might deter some people. Uh, you also get unregistered design rights if you had a product, I think it's five years. So like our fleece jumper, we'd had that in the market for too long before when we, we wanted to register the design, we couldn't because we'd had it, we'd been selling it for too long before. 
So you get unregistered design rights because basically you've been in the marketplace, you've been selling it, you've got a record. The other thing I would say to people, if you, especially if you're making a product, do a timeline of your design. Yeah. So take a photograph of your sketches with a date on it. So the photographs have dates, don't they? They can yeah. be screenshotted, they can be taken back. Do a timeline of every part of the process. So that that's a very valuable thing to do, I think, because then you can, if anybody you know accuses or say if anybody accuses you of copying you can say well no I haven't copied because this is how I developed it and this is my timeline because don't forget that's the other side of it we've been on the other side we were accused of copying once and it was it was thrown out because it it well it wasn't it wasn't true and I knew it wasn't but I have to say it still sent me into a complete spin yeah because the person that accused us was a very very big company and she had already threatened us at Crufts, uh, that she she didn't like what we were doing because we were in competition with her. So she she publicly threatened us, which was pretty horrible. Um, and then she tried to take it further, but actually, luckily, it didn't it didn't go anywhere because I knew we hadn't copied. I knew we hadn't copied, but I had my timeline. I had I knew how many differences there were between our products, and I you know. But even knowing that didn't stop me panicking. That oh my. God, you know, we might have to stop doing this because she was bigger than us. Um, but yeah, I think protect yourself as much as you can. So just just catalogue everything, you know, get your timings, get your timeline done because currently you are supposed to uh, be able to prove how you've designed something. So what I do now when I'm when we're working on something new, I take loads of photographs. Um, I used to put a lot of them out on Instagram stories. I don't do that so much now because I think also that helps people, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> just if you're just working on something new and somebody who's perhaps already doing something similar just thinks, oh, oh, I might add that to my range, you know, because that's a good idea. So now I don't do that so much. Now I basically develop it, photograph it, and say this is new, uh, which is a shame because our followers used to love seeing things behind the scenes, but I don't do so much of that now. So, um, yeah, so I think that's really all, all I can say on, on that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, to do that, keep it all dated, make sure yeah. you, you, know, you, you, you know you know your process. Yeah, that all sounds like um, very sensible advice. So um, I know you're campaigning and speaking to the government around this topic as well, um, which is obviously like a work in progress, but what would you say you've learned from the whole experience? Um, I've learned that you just have to plow on. Yeah. You've got to do the best that you can. You can't let it upset you. You've just got to carry on being better. Yeah. So you've got to work within your bubble. And the other thing is, I don't look at what other people are doing. And so I'm not consumed by oh, my God, that's really similar to ours, or, you know, oh, I thought that was ours. You know, I'm not, I'm not, because there's so many people in my niche now that are doing, are doing clothes for whippets that I don't want to see what other people are doing, really. I'm only interested in what we're doing and what I can offer our customers. So 
I think you just got to do what you do best mm-hmm. and keep keep being better at what you do. Yeah. I bet your community has been um a real a real tower of strength through this as well, hasn't it? I think all the way through our business, they have been with us, yeah. And I think that that shows in the support that we get, not only for our products, but I do loads of charity things as well. And yes. our charity auctions are becoming quite the legend now. So, um, But I do one of those and I think, oh, my goodness, I see the names. You know, it's the same people. It's the same great customers. They're supporting, supporting, supporting. So whether they're supporting a charity that I support or they're supporting us, you know, we've just done these jumpers for Ukraine they've almost sold out this weekend and I couldn't do stuff like that if I didn't have such a good community but you know again that doesn't come overnight that comes with relationships and 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 good good customer service Mm -hmm. that you've had and people I mean we've built this business Rachel without doing ever doing reviews I've never done any google analytics I've never done the things that you know they say you should do and we've got reviews on Facebook and we've got reviews on Etsy which are lovely but we've never done reviews on our own website and um we've done it because word of mouth has worked for us yeah and because we put in the hours talking to customers whether that's online or we even have a phone line people can even ring us now that's rare these days there aren't many websites that have a phone line (laughs) that you can actually call and speak to a human. Because sometimes people are sitting, you know, they're, they're trying to order on the website and they're suddenly thinking, oh, I'm not sure which size, I just need a little bit of advice. So if they can call you, you can chat them through it. And, and they're delighted because they know they're ordering the right things and they're not going to have to order the wrong size, have to send it back and have all that whole rigmarole. But also they, so many times now we get the, I am so glad that I can speak to somebody. This is so rare these days. And I'm a little bit old fashioned in that department, but it serves as well. So mm-hmm. yes, I think that, um, that that things like that, just, just having that relationship with your customers, doing things for your customers. So Debbie, I know that you um, are obviously campaigning to help protect small businesses from being copied um, and you are doing some work with the government can you tell us a little bit about that yeah I am speaking with uh, the government department that is reforming the laws around copying I can't really say too much because obviously they're gathering information at the moment but I am helping them and if they are able to make the reforms that they want to make then it will make things an awful lot easier for people who do find that their products have been copied because it will give more protection in the early stages and it should be a much less costly process to go through. So it means that more people, it'll be accessible to more people. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm working on that with them. We've got fingers crossed and ACID are doing an awful lot of this work behind the scenes as well. And I'm also helping with it. Brilliant. Okay. Well, keep us posted on that as well. And that's, that's really great to hear. Thank you. So, Debbie, tell us what's next for you and Red Hound then. Well, Rachel, we do have quite an exciting time coming up. 
we because I'm not so much on doing the manual stuff anymore so I'm not having to sit on the sewing machine all day or be cutting on days that I'm not sewing it means that I've got time to work on these other things that I've been wanting to do for such a long time we've got something in the pipeline uh which is a way of rewarding our loyal customers and we've been working on that since August last year so it's it's in it's in the hands of the back office at the moment. So that's going to be exciting. I'm hoping to be launching that in the next month or so. Um, I'm also working around my big word of the year, which is coordination. That's helping people from we've just relaunched the new puppy packs and they're all colour coordinated now. Because I realise there's an awful lot of choice out there for people. And even within our own website, there's so much choice. People get a little bit overwhelmed with it so I thought right how can I help people so start them on a pack within a color range that they like and then the idea is that they can go on to the next once the dog has grown up there will be more selection boxes available for the more you know as the dog grows and they will be color coordinated so if somebody starts off with the brights puppy pack then to add to that color theme we're going on to the Brights Basics pack and then there will be um, an Essentials pack and a Luxury pack and then a Don't Tell My Husband pack. So it's it's all sort of happening behind the scenes. It's a little bit late. We were hoping to, to do the Basics boxes in February, but that hasn't happened. We've just done the new puppy pack. So it's all just been put back a little bit because things do take longer than you ever think they will. But it, it is all starting to happen. So just make it, easier for people to make good decisions about things that their dogs will wear so they haven't got things hanging up in the cupboard that they don't wear that are wasted and that you know they're wasting their money on because everybody needs to get good value for money and and that's what we're hoping that with this coordinated range of things that they'll be able to use all the pieces together and it will it'll all work work well so obviously we've got the christmas things we're starting on next month um and just basically keep on designing quality clothing that lets lets whippets live their best life and um you know making hands and their humans happy because that's why we all do it absolutely well i think that's a lovely thing to end on i love about the whippets living their best life and all the hounds um and all the dogs really um so thank you debbie it's been really fascinating chatting to you and i know that people will um be fascinated by what you've had to share um and shared loads of really good advice there as well which is so important so thank you um can you tell us where we can find out more about you and where's the best place to find you on social media as well and i will put all the links in but if you can just say your website um, that'd be brilliant too yeah we're um, obviously www.redhamfordogs.com i'm at redhamfordogs on instagram if people want to follow the charity instagram account that's at redhound fundraising um with facebook group which is red Hounders for all things whippets there are a few questions that you have to answer just to get in there very simple questions i think difficult um and the facebook page i don't use very often so that's probably not worth mentioning um but yeah that's that's about it and on pinterest obviously at red hound for dogs fabulous okay well i'll put all those all those links in there as well but thanks so much debbie for joining me on the show and i look forward to seeing uh, what's next for red hound Thank you for having me, Rachel. Thank you for listening to the Publicity for Pet Businesses podcast. 
for more free resources and ways to promote yourself as a pet entrepreneur, visit www.publicityforpetbusinesses.co.uk.